Welcome to the Too Tall Podcast. So, you guys know who I am. I'm Thomas, but we have a guest here today. We have... Me here. Hey guys, I'm here. I've been a regular listener of the show, so your viewership or your listenership is probably going to drop a bit because of me being on the show, but I'm here this week. True. You're not going to listen to yourself talk, which is kind of... It's losing me dollars. It's, yeah, lo- it's, it's losing, losing you up, like probably about your half your listenership. I still, I still got some names on there. That's all that matters. But we, we decided to switch it up. Matt's busy. I think I don't know. Probably he, he probably is. He's a, he, he's a busy. He has man. so many different anecdotes. He's probably doing something crazy right now. Well, I'm sure he'll bring it to the next episode. But you know how it goes. I have a topic. You'll have a topic. I have a topic this week, and I'll start us off with something that's a nightmare. A nightmare that I get all the time when you know you're like go to the bathroom and like the idea of your phone falling out of your pocket <laughs> and falling in the toilet. <laughs> Or you're walking down the street with your phone in hand and it just rained and there's one puddle like an inch by an inch and you're afraid that you're going to drop your phone in that puddle. And it made me think, what happens when your phone hits water? So, ground zero, second zero. The phone hits the water and first thing the phone gets is it gets wet. It gets really wet and that's not good. And let me explain why. So, a wet phone means wet electronics and wet electronics means short circuits and corrosion now short circuits you know some tech so do you know what a short circuit is usually it's when the wires basically if you have a normal circuit and the wires don't like they connect before they're supposed to normally it's called a short circuit because since wires cross or since water has ions normally in it Mm -hmm. um, it creates a faster connection which devices aren't prepared for and that will cause things to short circuit right so ions and water equal plus phone electronics equal a bad time of course you forgot at ground zero second zero you forgot that you got a heart attack too when you oh you also there. start dying and you start thinking of worse scenarios <laughs> so first step obviously dry everything you can mm-hmm. now if you you don't want it to dry just on its own because then all those ions and stuff it will stay and corrode that's bad. You don't want that. So what do you normally, if you were to drop your phone in water today, what would you do? Probably go home and find a bag of rice. See, a bag of rice. Now, the thing is, a bag of rice, it's good. It, it absorbs moisture in the air. Like if you have an uncooked bag of rice and you leave it somewhere and it's really musty, like throw an unbagged rice of uncooked bag of rice in a gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That'll get cooked bad. up real quick. But the best thing actually are those little silica packets oh the ones that are in like backpacks and shoes and stuff backpack shoes beef jerky cat litter um Mm -hmm. my mom bought unbaked baguettes and they had one of those in there to keep it moisture free i don't know interesting that's why i had it on my head because i saw it so those are the best way to go so whenever you see them just save them because they'll come in handy one day i think i literally threw one out two days ago i threw one out five minutes (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously, the solution is, why don't we just all get waterproof phones? I know a lot of phones are waterproof, like the new iPhones are, Galaxy phones are. A bunch of them are, are I don't know how waterproof. They have, like, the IP rating, but... So, yeah. you want waterproof cases or waterproof phones, but what makes a phone waterproof? Hmm. And from my little research I did, it's it's a lot of glue. Lots of glue. <laughs> you glue everything shut and lots of rubber and gaskets. Because for all the seams, you want to make sure no water gets in. Mm -hmm. But there's a problem with, obviously, if you have speakers, you have to charge it. 
if you're right. not crying inside, you still have a 3.5 millimeter <laughs> headphone jack. And these things don't like getting wet either. And you have tactile buttons on the side. So I actually did a analysis of the new iPhone and the buttons, all the buttons have rubber gaskets on them that mm. block water, water from getting in. And that's one way of protection. And then also the cir- the internal circuits are actually sealed. Interesting. Now, what's interesting <clears throat> is Samsung is actually really clever because their speaker grills actually, because of the pressure of the speaker against it, those grills actually deflect water Interesting. and nothing gets through them. So even though there's a lot of holes, it's still waterproof. I've read though that some of the Samsung, I'm not sure if it's a Samsung phone, there's some other phones that like has a significant impact on like the speaker quality. It does. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. But sometimes longevity of the phone yeah. versus the sound quality. Yeah, I'll take phone. waterproofing over like a boring sounding speaker. Now, the, another big problem is that when it comes to uh, phones that get wet, you most of these phones, they're watertight, but they're not airtight. Mm-hmm. Because if you had an airtight phone, the problem would be you'd have a pressure buildup, and that pressure differential could actually bust a seal in the phone, therefore making it less waterproof because obviously water would get in. So it's this balance of being able to let water in, no, letting air in, (laughs) but not letting water in at the same time. But I personally, I'd really like to invest in a waterproof phone. Yeah, me too. Uh, You upgrade to the Pixel. I have a Pixel XL, so not the current generation that came out a couple months ago, but the one from last year. Do you ever feel bad that like you buy a piece of tech and then a new tech comes out within months? Um, Occasionally, although I don't know about... The only thing that's really changed with this year's Pixel XL is like the screen, so I'm not super broken up about it. Oh yeah, it's not that but, bad. Yeah, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely noticed like a rising trend in waterproofing on phones, and I'm disappointed that mine currently is not waterproofed. Now I have an iPhone SE, and that's not waterproof right. at all. Now I've had traumatic water experiences. <laughs> now the first thing you should do, I should have said this earlier, when your phone hits water, turn it off. Right. Because the thing that breaks is the short circuit, short circuiting. And if there's no power going through your phone because it's off, you're safe. Mm-hmm. Now, you should also not be tempted to turn on your phone if the screen's black. If your, if your phone, probably iPhone, I don't know, a lot, or Samsung, mm-hmm. if your phone screen's black, don't try to turn it on. Yeah. Because Usually it's a bad sign. That will probably cause more hurt than help. Mm-hmm. But as terrible as the world is apple won't fix a water damaged phone they don't fix it at all Mm. i know they won't replace it on like apple or maybe on apple care they won't replace it which is what i was thinking but Uh, okay they don't really fix phones either they kind of replace them normally i guess i know you can like pay to get like a screen fix or something but i don't know yeah i don't know how that works with waterproofing i've taken my phone apart and at this rate you've taken your phone apart completely i've taken my phone apart twice wow both for the same reason what'd you do um so talking about phones not being waterproof or watertight or air airtight um my phone the top right corner kind of pops out a little bit interesting enough so that dust crawls inside and blocks the front facing camera 
So now it looks like I'm in a constant state of vaping hardcore. <laughs> so I need to go in, clear the, clear that off, and shut it again, which is a lot of effort and a very expensive piece of technology to be messing around with. Yeah, I feel that. My laptop currently has a tiny piece of dust that's been stuck there for like over a year, and I've been meaning to get it fixed, but it's just too much. Like I'd be without my laptop for like a couple weeks, so I haven't actually gotten around to it. It's a lot of effort for something so small. Mm-hmm, definitely. It's not like hampering the performance. Well, maybe on a front-facing camera. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I have about waterproof Interesting. Yeah. I forgot to turn off my phone. That's fine. Well, at least it's not water damaged. You know that much. Yeah. I'll just mark that and edit it out later. (laughs) All right, Mihir. All right. So, continuing along some of the similar lines, think of portrait mode on some of the new iPhones, new Pixel phones. You know oh, how it works, right? Like the fake studio lighting. The fake studio lighting where the subject's in focus, but you have a fuzzy background. Yeah. So you're pretty, pretty into photography. You know that it's hard to really get that shallow depth of field effect without a big full-frame DSLR and like some pretty intricate lenses, right? Yeah, you need small, uh, open aperture, shallow right. depth of field. Shallow depth of field, big sensors. So how do these tiny smartphone camera sensors pull it off? The answer is machine learning. Oh, okay. Yeah, so machine learning... From the sounds of it, you've heard it before. It's a huge buzzword in tech. It's been everywhere for the past year or so. Every new phone announcement has like some sort of machine learning tied into it. You can probably play machine learning bingo over the next year and win pretty quickly. Well, isn't uh, Apple's new chip that's in their uh, phones, the A... Right, the A11 Bionic chip yeah, which has is a separate to... machine learning engine that it has. I was actually looking into it while doing research for this. But basically, Apple even has something called Core ML, which is basically um, sort of like an API that easily lets developers work with machine learning stuff right on the software without having to build their own like machine, machine. learning algorithms. That's what I'm going to get into here. But so basically, what is machine learning? So at its core, machine learning is an uh, machine learning algorithms allow computers to learn new things without explicitly being taught or programmed those things, right? So if you think of artificial intelligence, most artificial intelligence depends heavily on machine learning. Okay, I was going to think, is aren't those similar, like almost the same thing, like you need one for the other? Right, so machine learning is what allows artificial intelligence to make decisions in many cases. And it's not just artificial intelligence, like it's a huge part of your day-to-day life on, online or on the internet. If you think Google search results, Machine learning is what determines the order to serve those results in so that it's better for you. If you've noticed, just throughout our lifetime, since you first started Googling stuff to now, results are much easier to find within like the top three or four than before. That like fit your needs. Mm-hmm. That yeah, exactly. Based that, on what, you've what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great way to see that. Also, you have spam filters and face recognition and like, say, Facebook po- fit pictures or like in your photos app it identifies who's who and you can easily search and tag people it's software based too because i know facebook now will identify faces of people Mm -hmm. and that's obviously not a computer that's software right so that software based stuff is what uses machine learning so how do machine learning algorithms work really basically you have to feed the algorithm a bunch of different input data in the form of you know a picture or say Google searches, stuff like that. And then you get your output data, which is you know the person's fo- face being tagged or the Google search results in a certain order. And 
basically what machine learning does is it it searches through these input and output sets and tries to find trends in this data. And then based on those trends, it learns and tries to make predictions about what to use going forward and how to find outputs going forward. That makes, when I, when I visualize that, I think of like, if an iPhone had eyes, like someone holding the eyes open as a bunch of pictures and like exactly. videos went by, it's like, you will understand all of these. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the show, the show Chuck. It's, um, yeah. But like, basically he's just like sat in front of a giant computer screen with millions of images flashed in front of his brain. And he becomes a living computer that can recognize those images. Are you a robot? Basically. <laughs> so that's sort of the basics of how it works. And let's do a quick real world example of how a machine algorithm, machine learning algorithm works. So what's the first thing you do when you're trying to buy something new on Amazon? Uh, I Google something vague. I mean, okay, <laughs> let me rephrase that. When you, you find an item on Amazon you want to purchase, yeah. you go to the Amazon page. What's the first thing you look at on the page? Uh, probably the price or the name. Price, name, what else? Uh, description. Keep going. Pictures of it. What fact? Okay, so say you know you want to buy that specific product at that price. Yeah. I'm talking reviews. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> part of it, right? I should probably look at reviews more. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So usually the reviews range from one to five stars, so you try to look at both. But, you know, the way we are, we try to focus on the one-star reviews to see what the problems are with the products. Exactly. Right? So... Let's start with, say, product A, all right? And say this product has only a couple one-star reviews that deal with stuff, say, like, the product arrived broken, it arrived late, or say, like, the coloring was off a little bit. Nothing super major, just some minor cosmetic issues, all right? So say you buy this product, it turns out fine, and basically the one-star reviews didn't really have too much of an effect on your product experience then, right? Yeah, no. So, all right, you go to product B, Product B's one-star reviews say that, you know, the quality of the product isn't that great. It falls apart quickly. It stops working after two months. Overall, it doesn't really live up to the description that was on the product page. Say you buy that one as well, and it sort of it lets you down after two months. It breaks. It doesn't work as advertised, something like that. So here you can see that the one-star reviews really do affect your product experience. Right, because right. that shows the most negatives. Mm-hmm. So now... You've done this hundreds of times, probably even buying stuff on Amazon, on eBay, wherever. Now, say I give you a product and you look at the reviews and they, they're they like the one I just mentioned with product B where, you know, the quality isn't super great. It tends to fall apart after a while. It stops working in two months, say a year. Would you buy this product? No, because I've experienced something like that. Right. So that's sort of the way that the machine learning algorithms work. It starts with the input data, which is the reviews in this case. Your output data is your product experience. And then it connects the cosmetic, say, one-star reviews to a decent product experience, whereas it connects the quality one-star reviews to a bad product experience. So by identifying that trend, it, it does that hundreds and thousands of times. And then going forward the next time, just like you did, when you give it a certain amount of reviews with certain um, different areas about, say, quality or if it arrived broken or not, cosmetic stuff, it knows how to make a decision based on what it's experienced before. So I'm learning myself. By yeah, exactly. Reviews. So the way that machine learning works is kind of similar to the way that we humans learn. And so one of the, te there are a couple of different techniques about how machine learning algorithms actually work and actually predict the data. 
and one of the these methods is called neural networks. I assume oh, you've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's tied like in a, closely to machine learning these days. A bunch of computers it. working together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So basically, computers don't. We have neurons, but computers don't. They just have transistors and that you know that are either on or off. Right. So the way that neural networks work is basically in between your input, say your reviews, and your output, which is your product experience, there are a bunch of different hidden layers that are hidden pathways that it can take to get there. And basically, the neural networks try to construct, say, a mathematical function about which sort of reviews to weight highly and which ones to weight not as much about, and then get to the product experience or the output based on that. So when it creates the mat- a mathematical function of the reviews, then every time it looks at a new product or a new review, it then adjusts that function a little bit to try to get a better pathway to get from the input to the output. So it's like the more and more it does it, the more precise it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big part of machine learning these days is just training it. And so you have to make hundreds and thousands of data sets to train these machine learning algorithms to then accurately predict the data. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So you're a comp sci major. Yeah. Have you learned or made a very rudimentary version of machine learning yet? So I actually haven't gotten around to it. And this was really, I was, I've been meaning to look into it over Thanksgiving break. And so this is a great time for me to look into it for the podcast as well as just for my personal stuff. So I haven't actually built it myself. Because if you think of it, it's pretty much, it's like a, a two question thing is if this is bad, igno- it's like mm-hmm. it learns if this is this. Remember- right. If it's good, you want to keep it. If it's bad, you want to discard it. And then like it moves on from there to right. the information. Mm-hmm. So like a kindergartner learns, like if you stick your hand in an electrical socket, you hurt yourself. So you try not to do that again. Whereas if you stick your hand in a piece of chocolate and then eat that chocolate, you get a good reward. It's like think of you had numbers one through 10 and you wanted a computer to like find the highest number Mm -hmm. and it's in a random order. It's like, is this new number higher than the last one? Right. And if it is keep that number and Mm -hmm. then keep going up like that. Right. That's a basic learning algorithm. And I guess you could do that with ratings on uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so basically you have to start of a big part of this is that these still need like guidance about what to learn. And like, you can't just, pile in a bunch of reviews or ratings from Amazon and say, all right, should I buy this or not? You have to teach it about, you know, which ratings to rate highly, which ratings are more trustworthy, which aren't as much, you know, some that are say in broken or bad English might be a fake rating from some Chinese, fake Chinese rating site or whatever. So you have to also account for stuff like that, that not necessary, that might not necessarily be as easy to spot. So there are, like I said, with neural networks, there are other a couple other ways that machine learning algorithms work, such as, um, I don't know if you ever heard of like regression, but it's a big part of statistics in that basically it starts by predicting a function for the inputs and the output, and then based on the percent error between the predicted output and the real output, it then modifies that function to get to a much better, much more accurate prediction. And there's also another one called clustering, which is just basically breaking down your big input sets into smaller, more meaningful collections, such as like separating customers by their buying patterns. So that's another way that basically 
These are the ways that machine learning algorithms take input data, input data such as reviews, such as you know Google search results. They break it up piece by piece, and then they finally figure out, you know, based on what I've learned before, what do I think now is the best outcome for this data. So that's really how machine learning algorithms work. If I guess it's like if a if you gave a computer a bunch of random color M and M's and then told them all to line like mix them all with the similar color mm -hmm. it's like faces like match all the faces together right. match all that mm -hmm. of course a little bit more than five colors of m and right and an important point of this is that you can't just give it like a random pattern too so like if you just say you know like the the noise random noise on say like a tv when you're not tuned to the right frequency it just can be all static and if you try to make um say like facebook try to identify faces in that it's not going to get anything or it's going to try and fail miserably. You have to give it faces to mm -hmm. learn from. Right. So a big part of this is you have to feed it stuff where there's actually patterns to work with. And then once you find that find those patterns, you can then deal with stuff and and actually predict from there. Which is interesting. I think this goes into a current thing in modern day culture, which is the controversy of if you type in brassier or bra into iPhone's uh, image albums, mm -hmm. it will bring up pictures of girls' chests. Interesting. But you can do that with similar things. Like if I type in cat, it will find all the pictures of cats on my phone. Yeah. Even though I've never made an album of cats or specifically mm -hmm. said that's a cat in this photo. Interesting. Yeah, I was trying to look up graduation pictures from, from like my old graduation pictures just to put in a frame the other day. So I, I wanted a picture where it was just me or just me and my parents. So I, in my Google Photos, I was able to just type in me, and it returned a bunch of pictures where it was my face in them. Pretty well. So it was really cool. And then I could do the same for like my parents, too. Like If I just type in my parents' names, it would try to return pictures with those. Now, what's interesting, though... Um, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. I was going to say, uh, so they know your face. Right. And they know my face. Now, mm -hmm. you have a brother, and I have a brother. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get mistaken for my brother. That happens to me, too. Does that happen to you? Mm -hmm. All right. I never get mixed up with someone that's far off. It's normally someone right. related. Mm -hmm. I don't get, like, a stranger. Like, no one, my phone doesn't mistake me as Matt Berg. Right. Or someone. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, you've seen it fail. Like, if you've seen on Facebook where sometimes if it's just a picture, you get an option, like, tag this person as. And it's Bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it definitely fails sometimes, but it's, every time it fails, it just, and you'd say, nope, that's not right. It keeps learning from that. And like say, um, with I know with Face ID on the new iPhones, basically you can put your face up there and if it doesn't unlock and then you wait a while and it doesn't unlock, you then type in your passcode. It then stores a picture of that face that tried to unlock it and then I think it builds upon that in its machine learning database. And so the way Face ID is going to work is it, it's just going to keep getting better and better as more people use it. And as you use it more because of, you know, the A11 Bionic chip, it's going to keep learning about how to identify the right face and I make it unlock quicker. That's pretty wild mm -hmm. because then that means Facebook over time gets better. That means like everything's getting better over time. So it may have been introduced a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. But it's only like reaching its prime now. Mm -hmm. So like same with Google search results. I remember when I was a kid and you tried to Google something, you'd have to, you know, 
actually go to the second page of the search results to find something you'd need the second page the second page that's a no man's land yeah (laughs) i don't think i've been to the second page in years now there's no need there's no need (laughs) to go that far if it's not on the first page you just search something else yeah i was i had a programming issue the other day and i was looking for something and i was clicking the last link on the first page i was like if this doesn't fix it i just gave up i'm gonna switch majors (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's what i have for you this week Awesome. Well, I think this was a very informative topic and people learned a lot of stuff about their phones. Hopefully, I hope. So don't get your stuff wet, obviously. And if you do get it wet, you got to learn from that. Yeah. Not get it wet for the future. Be a machine. Learn a little bit about yourselves. All right. Have a good one, guys. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg. Music this episode comes from Lee Rosevere, and our outro music is created by our lovely host, Matt Berg. For general inquiries and feedback, send us an email at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. We are a weekly produced podcast. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. For more info about this week's episode, visit us at twotoppodcast.com. That's the number two, toppodcast.com. See you next week for another Two Topics.